Psalm 348, Brother Jeff has asked that we mark that and use that somewhat later in the service this evening. What a delight it is we've each been given to enjoy this opportunity to assemble in the peacefulness and tranquility of this Lord's Day afternoon hour and to do so with the understanding that it's the name of the God of heaven that we wish to lift up and exalt. And what better way could there be for each of us to begin this week than to do so in the way that we've selected tonight? As we come to this part of the service this evening in which we'll focus for a little while, the next few minutes, upon a lesson from the Word of God. You probably noticed in the bulletin as well as on the wall to my left that the title of the lesson tonight is Seek What is Better. As we give some thought to some of the issues that will arise from that, might we begin it in the following way. To seek what is better. No one, I suppose, would argue the fact that many things are good. In fact, that's a word we use frequently in our language. We characterize or describe something as being good. And by that we mean that it often has characteristics that are noble, things that are desirable about it. The opportunity quite often to pursue that would in fact be an encouraged matter. Interesting though, isn't it, that there is another word in English that we often consider. It's the word better. In fact, sometimes we might notice that though one thing might be good... Another might be better, and by employing that adjective, we mean that that thing that's better excels or is superior to that which is good. It fulfills the purpose, perhaps more exactly, perhaps more characteristically, quite often in a far better way. Interesting, isn't it, that those words we use so often, good on the one hand, better on the other, might well point us into the lesson tonight. That next idea, in fact, is one that's very interesting because when we characterize one thing as good and another as better, that means we're being called on to, to make a discernment, to make a judgment. We must make a choice and decide this item serves that purpose better than this one and therefore that one is better for the purpose at hand. We often, you see, make these kinds of judgments in our daily life Tonight, let's see if the Word of God can help us make similar judgments like that in our spiritual life. The last two items on that slide point out again what might be obvious, but nonetheless it's so challenging. Most of us wouldn't have that much trouble distinguishing what's good to what's bad. Often as we're brought up, Dad and Mom help us learn from an early age that is a bad activity. Shun it, avoid it. However, what about making a distinction between what's good and what's better? Quite often that's more challenging, isn't it? It may not be obvious and it may require great study. It may require careful consideration and reflection. Tonight, I would like us to consider a number of elements the Word of God presents and it presents them as though one is good and the other is better. Let's see how, how skilled we are at telling the difference and how it might prompt us to greater spiritual study and greater spiritual livelihood in the eyes of our Father in heaven. The first one before us tonight takes us back to the Old Testament. The first one is this one. God's loving kindness is better than life. That is a statement to which we will turn our attention in just a moment, but let's set it up in the following way. There might not be any of us that would question life is good. There are TV commercials that laud that thought, and you and I know even the Bible encourages us to keep in mind this. 
in Psalm 139, verse number 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. There isn't one of us in the audience that couldn't testify that God has been good to us. He has blessed us so mightily and majestically with a host of physical blessings, and that alone is a great thing to notice. And quite often we've been the recipients of so many afforded wonders in this life. Life is good. But you might notice on that very same slide, some other passages that highlight those thoughts might be this one. Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Each day when we open our eyes in the morning, we can be thankful for a morn that God has blessed us with. The opportunity to see the dew on the ground and the livelihood and the new features of a new morning. Lamentations 3, verses 19 to 24. But notice that second statement. As good as life is, God's loving kindness is better. That's an exact statement of Psalm 63, verse 3. David on that occasion in prayer unto God said, O Lord, thy loving kindness is better than life. He told the truth, didn't he? Each of us who have come to know the Lord and appreciate the magnitude of His character and the nature of His being, we can understand His loving kindness is better than life. Look at some of those last statements if you would. To make reference to that loving kindness character, you'll notice that word loving kindness, as the King James translators have put it before us, really means steadfast love. Many songs in that book highlight the love of God. Isn't it grand? Isn't it tremendous? Isn't it marvelous? Isn't it in some way tremendous in terms of one's capability to even try to fully fathom it? His love is truly that magnificent. You'll notice among those last two verses might well be these. Because of God's loving kindness, we have an element of trust in Him of plentifulness, of blessings not available in any other way unless we trust His loving kindness. And Psalm 61, 4 highlights that character. He said, I am able to rest in the covert of thy wings. God's security, the nature of tranquility afforded in life, all due to our trust in His loving kindness and our obedience to it. God's loving kindness is better than life. Ephesians 1.3 closes that thought in this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And to that, can we not feel the honor of the moment as we understand how good God has been to us in those spiritual blessings? As we give thanks for the physical life, may we never forget God's loving kindness is better. There might be many in this world who appreciate life, but they forget there's something better. What about a second lesson tonight? In addition to that one, might we consider this one from the book of Ecclesiastes? Better it is, as you can see on that occasion, better it is to give thought to the nature of making vows to God and to do so with the following thought. It's better not to vow at all than to vow and not pay. Let's focus on that thought for the next few moments. I suppose, again, no one would question the fact it's good to have intentions. It's good to have a vision. It's good to have thoughts about what ought to be accomplished. In fact, the Bible even encourages to have proper vision. 
in Proverbs 29:18, do we not read on that occasion that where there is no vision, the people perish? It's good to have nobility in terms of intent. What does that mean, though, in terms of one who makes a vow to God, but then, due to indifference or apathy or carelessness or laziness or slothfulness, does not in fact pay that which has been vowed? The sacred scriptures address that very point. In, in Ecclesiastes 5, verse number 5, the inspired writer points us to this fact. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and then not pay it in regard to one's duty to God. That prompts us for some additional thinking, doesn't it? Better it is to not vow than to vow and not pay. Are you and I careful and cautious about our words and the devotions of our heart as it comes to God? It's easy to speak. It's a more challenging to live up to what one has promised. Each of us have made a grand promise to God, haven't we? In the attitude and character of that great confession, if in no other way, we have promised to love and to appreciate that Jesus is the Son of God and to give the fullness of our life in devotion to service to Him. That's what a Christian is, isn't it? One who devotes his or her life to the service of the Master, the one that died for us. What then might that say about those who have begun that character, but then due to laziness or otherwise, how are no longer faithful to that calling. It's better to never have vowed than to vow and not pay. Peter addressed that fact, didn't he, in 2 Peter 2, beginning in verse number 19. From that point into the remainder of that chapter, some of the language is so very telling, isn't it? He said, speaking about those who have escaped the pollutions of this world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but then are entangled again and overcome. What was it that Peter, by inspiration, declared? The latter end is worse than the beginning. It had been better, he said, if they'd never come to know the way of truth and to come to know it and then to apostatize from it. And then he used that very famous correlation that helpful parable to help us understand the thought. It's much like that sow that was washed returning to her wallowing in the mire. That dog returning to its own vomit again. It is a very cautious and careful thing when we give thought to the fact we've made a vow to God as Christians and it is in fact sealed in the nature of the sacrifice of His Son and authenticated by the character of the words in Romans 13, 14. Stated also again in Romans 4.25, Christ, as we appreciate the nature, He was delivered for our offenses, raised again for our justification. We're justified by the nature of His resurrection and all the promises that it brings. Fantastic to consider, isn't it? Better it is not to vow than to vow and not pay. May we always be steadfast, loyal, and faithful to the God of heaven throughout all the days of our life on this earth whatever may come our way. What about a third lesson tonight? What's something else that's better? The third one is this one. It is better to get wisdom than it is to get gold. Many in our world have failed to appreciate the thoroughness of that lesson, haven't they? But better it is, according to the sacred writer, to appreciate the nature of pursuing wisdom than it is to pursue after gold. There are many who would be quick to say, but gold is so useful. 
In fact, you and I could even notice that gold rightly used is a good thing. Think how many hungry children we could feed, how many gospel preachers we could support, how many gospel radio programs that we could endorse. There are many things money will allow. And in fact, we are commanded to give rightly to the work of the Lord by virtue of it. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2. But might we say this, is gold the absolute end of all things? There is something better. Better is it to give thought to the pursuit of wisdom than gold. That very statement is found for us in a number of passages. Proverbs 16 verse 16 is one of them. Another that sets forth that notion for us is 1 Kings chapter 3. It, in, in terms of that latter one, let me hearken you back with me just to the re revelation of that text. Solomon had just become the king because his father David had died in the previous chapter. But as he began that reign, Solomon understood at that point the weakness, the character of the flaws, and the great responsibility laid upon him. He knew he was now to be the judge of Israel, the one to make decisions of discernment, the one that was to be one who could lead with understanding. At that point, Solomon understood that he needed the wisdom afforded by the presence and revelation of God. And so it was that in Gibeah he was allowed, ask anything you want and I will give it to you. Though he could have asked for any number of things as God would say later in that same chapter, military victory, great wealth, pomp and circumstance, applause and popularity of men. He could have asked for any of it, but he didn't. The thing for which he asked in verse number 9 was, Give thy servant a wise and understanding heart that I may discern and judge in this side thy so great a people. He desired wisdom. Is it any wonder that this same person in Proverbs 4 verse 7 would say, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, get wisdom. How important is it to have the proper means of thinking and utilization of the knowledge that God has given us? Wisdom. May we ever urge it in our youngsters as well as ourselves. So that as they grow up in a world that so often seeks gold, may they never forget that there's something better. That wisdom, as given by the Word of God, is far better than that. Wisdom better than gold. One of the last thoughts in that very passage is this one. Some of those who made errors along that line in the sacred text of the Word of God. Demas, we're told in 2 Timothy 4.10, has loved this present world. He saw its glitter perhaps. Maybe he gave attention to the things which it affords because that's where he could find the greatest comfort. But we can almost hear and feel a tear streaming down the face of Paul as he said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. For Paul understood what that meant. Demas didn't look for what was better. May you and I in wisdom seek the thing that's better. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust hath corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust hath corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. To this point in the lesson tonight, we've seen three things for which something according to the Word of God is better than something that by itself might be seen as good. Let's look at a fourth one, shall we? 
In this fourth instance, we notice that something else is also said to be better. The language reads as follows, A good name is better than precious ointment. Let's give some thought for at least a few moments to the matter contained in that idea. First of all, would we not be willing to say that ointment by itself is a good thing? After all, it can have healing characteristics. It may have qualities in it and behind it that may lead to improvement in skin color, skin character, or other health of the body. Ointment, when rightly used, in fact, can be a very useful thing. In Jeremiah 8, verses 21 and 22, we in fact on that occasion read about the balm of Gilead that was well known in the ancient world. Balm that in fact is such that that was known as balm town. Anywhere in the ancient world that one desired balm, it was known where it could be found. This place was known for its capability of production. And that salve, that ointment was useful for the preservation of many things physically. But might we note this, is there something better than precious ointment? Yes, indeed, according to the sacred text. You'll notice with me in Proverbs 22, verse number 1, again, that man Solomon wrote these words for us. A good name is better to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor more so than precious ointment. That thought is highlighted again in Ecclesiastes 7. In either of those ways, we learn something very useful. Though again, that precious ointment might very well be something in the time of Christ that served an interesting purpose. Might we never forget that a good name must not be overlooked. A good name. Many of us within the sound of my voice tonight have been bequeathed a very good name by our parents. A mother and father, maybe grandparents and great-grandparents who were well known in the community as those whose word was powerful and whose word was to be treated like a bond. They said what they meant. They meant what they said. They would not ever go back on a statement of agreement. They were hard-working individuals who lived in a way that was noble and right. May we never forget the thankfulness that should be ours as we think about a name and always strive to live in harmony so that that name will have the earmark and the highlight that goes with it of a good Christian boy or girl, man or woman. A good name is a precious thing, isn't it? It's a commodity that really can't be bought with money. But it's a commodity that in fact is worth far more than that. Think about some of those thoughts that come near the bottom of that slide. There are those in life who can be jealous who can be envious, and quite frankly, who would find no greater pleasure than to tarnish your good name or mine. They seem to smile when they can do something that might cause others to question, to doubt, or maybe even to appreciate that you aren't what you have claimed to be. It's sad that there are those who live as though they find pleasure out of damaging and tarnishing and harming the reputation of others. They tried that with Jesus, didn't they? Many were the times that there were those who came to him trying to trap him up in his words, trying to catch him in what he taught, trying to cause him to be looked upon in a rather evil way in the eyes of the Pharisees and others. The Lord didn't fall for any of those shenanigans. He simply told the truth in all the cases, and it often, of course, cut them deeply. There were others in the sacred text who, in fact, also was such that they strove to maintain that good name. You'll notice that as you and I strive to do the same, 
may we also give careful thought to the fact that it takes but a moment to tarnish a name that has taken years to build. And might we be so quick to say that Satan is a master of that kind of foolishness. Temptations are set there and it's his desire for you to make just a moment's bad decision and then that's it. Others learn about it. Characteristics are soon spread about like a prairie blaze on a wildfire. And suddenly others know what fall has taken place. Aren't we aware of how that happens? We hear it on the news all the time. Someone maybe was known to be a good coach, a good parent, a good athlete, but then he or she has been found to do something. Have, a, have an affair, sexual activities with boys or girls, whatever the case may be, and suddenly everything crumbles to the ground. Lawsuits follow. Reputation never again will be the same. They may be able to get the forgiveness of God, and we trust that they can upon repentance and proper obedience, but never again will their name be completely dissociated with the foolishness that they tried. May we be far wiser than that, for a good name is better to be chosen than great riches, than precious ointment. What about a fifth element for which, again, there is something better? In this case, we learn the following. The Bible, believe it or not, tells us that sorrow is better than laughter. That one sounds intriguing, doesn't it? We might be quick to say, laughter can be a good thing, can't it? We enjoyed some of the laughter that was to, her, to be heard yesterday. As little boys and girls were playing, and we as older ones were enjoying the wonderful afternoon that God had given us. And even after services from time to time, we enjoy laughter because Christians enjoy something that should make us happy. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice in the language of Philippians 4.4. 4. But when we pause to think about laughter, it is true, isn't it, that according to the Scriptures, proper consideration of something else is actually said to be better. You'll notice at the top of that slide, we appreciate that sorrow is better than laughter. That statement is identically found. Hinted at, in fact, more than once in the Old Testament. Didn't Jesus say Himself amongst those Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, verses 3 and 4. In what way might it be that sorrow is better than laughter? The perspective it would seem that Solomon had used in stating that was this. Those who look only for laughter... They seem to be focused on mirth, on pleasure, on entertainment. And that's as far as their discernment and their consideration goes. Solomon's point was this. When there do come difficult times in life, when there does come moments of great decision, when there does come times that are fraught with perilous difficulty, often that then allows upon emerging victorious from that a far greater sense of appreciation of then the good times that come after it. It may be that your father or your mother told you that. Isn't it true? Quite often, after you've had a hard time, then the good times that follow it are appreciated so much more. I've heard individuals many times say that about health. You don't realize what a great blessing that good health is until you've gone through a difficult time with your health. And then it's such a rich blessing. 
it would seem that that's the idea behind what Solomon had to say to each of us. That surely as we understand laughter is a good blessing, but may we appreciate entertainment and mirth and pleasure in its rightful position and understand that even when sorrowful times come our way, we can still emerge from them and then appreciate the good times even more in the times that follow it. Isn't it interesting that many times poems have been written along that line as well. One of them perhaps reads somewhat like this. It's a rather brief poem. It makes mention of a person who enjoyed a walk with two different entities. It begins, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but not a thing I learned from her all the live long day. That's interesting, isn't it? But then the second verse reads like this. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Isn't it interesting, sometimes as we emerge from the crucible of sorrow, we then have a greater attachment to the God who helped us through that time and a greater reliance upon His Word who sustained us and gave us the power and majesty that we could in fact emerge in a way that was so noble and so proper. Maybe another one is this one. There at the bottom of that slide, better again is something that is of great interest, isn't it? It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. That too comes from the pen of Solomon. Solomon made that interesting statement, and don't you and I each know that there are many people who seemingly love to hear their own voice. They talk and they talk and they talk. They seemingly think they have a lot of answers and a lot of wisdom. But you and I know that quite often what they share is not tempered with the truth of God and quite often what is asserted is rather foolish, especially for those who know the Word of God. As you and I listen to individuals like that, might we say this, it's also possible that in life we know those who are wise. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a grandparent, maybe it's a good godly man or woman, maybe it's someone whom we look up to extraordinarily highly. They are skilled and experienced in life, and furthermore, far better, they're experienced in their knowledge of the Word. We treasure their advice. We treasure their counsel. The statement is this, it's better to hear the rebuke from someone like that than to hear the song of a fool. And isn't there a lot of wisdom in a statement like that? There are those, again, who would share information with us very quickly and happily do so. But it might only not be helpful, it might actually be hurtful, and it might be harmful. However, a very brief sentence from someone knowledgeable of the Bible, someone skilled in life, someone who truly has our best interest at heart, a brief sentence from them might be better than a long sermon from a fool. Isn't that true? You'll notice at the bottom, that statement of Ecclesiastes 7 verse 5, challenges us that Solomon reckoned himself as the preacher, and as he spoke, even he admitted, better it is to in fact hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. You might notice at the bottom several passages that remind us from other perspectives of that truth. In Jeremiah 9 verses 24 to 26, Jeremiah acclaimed the fact that those who think they're wise really are not unless they know this book unless they are skilled and experienced in the Word of God. It matters not how knowledgeable of the things of this world they may be, 
Consider yet another in Hosea 14.9. Very last verse in that first of the minor prophets. As the question is initially stated in then, Hosea, by the nature of God's inspiration, gives the answer. He highlights, interestingly, this fact. How much better it is to appreciate what God has revealed than, in fact, to turn in transgression against it. Again, better it is to hear the rebuke of the, fool, of the wise and to hear the rebuke, or rather the song of those that are so foolish. You'll notice one final passage in Matthew 7, beginning in verse number 24. Those who hear but yet do not do are the foolish ones that build a house on the sand, but rather those that are wise are the ones who hear and then do what it is that they have heard. All of that perhaps brings us to this point. The last element or two in the lesson, a couple more things that are better. This one reads as follows. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. A clear-cut statement of the 118th Psalm, isn't it? In fact, let's give some additional consideration to that thought. It is true there are individuals, and we just noted some of them, who truly are loving. They have our best interest in heart. They give careful thought to the well-being of our soul, and we look up to them highly. But might we notice this? There are many in the world who are deceptive, who would try to pull that old wool over our eyes, as the old statement, as the old statement is. David, in this particular case, simply says this. It's possible for people to be disappointing. It's possible for them to not live up to the standard that we would wish. It's possible for them not to have the echelon of unlimited nature that we would like. But we do know in regard to the God of heaven, it's better to put trust in Him than to put our confidence in men. David said that many times, in fact, in the Psalms. That's just one of the places. In the 146th Psalm, it's stated again in slightly different words, especially verses 3 and 4. As you give thought to any of them, notice Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Many have been the times when individuals like you and me, I'm sure, have read and reread and read again that verse. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. That is a great promise. It is a comforting statement. When you face the difficulties, the problems, the decisions, the oppressions, the terrible circumstances that life can often throw at us, may we never forget, cast your burden upon Him. Notice that man often will be deceptive. He will fail to have your best interest in heart. In fact, he will try to take advantage of you on many occasions, and he does the same to me as well. Isn't it very soothing to give thought to one who, in fact, is such that it's far better to put our trust in Him? Proverbs 3, verses 4 and 5 still reads, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Acknowledge Him in all thy ways, and He shall direct thy paths. As often as you and I reflect upon verses like that one, doesn't it again teach us it's better to put our trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man? And it is the case that there's one final thought relative to that verse that it would be good for all of us to consider. As you look at the Bible... 
there are some 31,102 verses in it. Those are a lot of verses. And their thoughts range the full need of what God would have us to know for life here and life hereafter. But have you ever given thought to the verse that is the middle verse out of all 31,102 of them is that one. Psalm 118 verse 8 is exactly the middle verse in the Bible. I can't help but believe the Holy Spirit orchestrated matters such that that kind of thought would sit in the exact middle of the Word of God. It's better to put trust in God than it is to put confidence in man. That's the middle text. That's the middle idea. Maybe another one. Number eight in our list. The law of God is better than great riches. We noted earlier in our second point how good riches can be. It was gold in that instance. But now we find yet a different statement. This time noting how much better is the Word of God. Let's shed some consideration upon that in this way. In 119th Psalm, verse 172, that longest chapter in all of the Old Testament, we notice how lovingly precious it is to laud the greatness of God because His Word, in as much as it fills our heart, is such that this is His Word of God. Interesting, isn't it, that in light of that, the thought of it reads as follows. The riches of this life can be so temporary. We know we cannot take them with us. But we also appreciate that they afford us opportunities here. Something better, though, is what's afforded in this book. Didn't Job say in Job 23, 12, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In the mind of Job, though the difficulties surrounded him, in the midst of that, he was still able to say, I have esteemed his words more than my necessary food. That was more important than sliding up to the table and filling his stomach. It was more important than the other attributes of what is involved in obtaining food. God's Word, how important is it to me? How important is it to you? David made, it, made this statement in, the, in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. And on that occasion, he said, I delight in the law of the Lord, and in His law does He meditate day and night. In Psalm 119, verse number 72, and again in verse number 93, we read the power and capability of the following fact. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. In the 140th verse of that same chapter, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Do you and I love it? Do we look upon this as a treasure? Jesus described in many ways in Matthew 13, the attributes and honor that goes with it, so great a man would sell all that he has to buy the field where the pearl is located. The pearl of great price in many ways reminds us of the blessing of the Word of God and all the things that come with it. How special is it to you and me? We live in a world, quite frankly, where many not only have little love for it, many hate it. They, in fact, would like nothing better than to burn every Bible that exists upon this planet. Voltaire, in fact, thought such would happen in the latter part of the 18th century. Of course, he was wrong. Of course, he, his intent and thought failed. But might we never forget that we live in an era and in a time in which the Word is battled often, isn't it? There are even those in the legislatures and the governmental centers of our land who try to inhibit it, to restrain it, 
to constrain it, to remove it, to eliminate it, to abandon it. They want no life based on this book because it's too restrictive. It doesn't allow them to do the sordid and sinful things they prefer. It doesn't allow them to do the debauched things that fill the minds of man. They think if they can free the human family from this book, there are no restraints on what they can do. They're probably right about that. But what a miserable world it'd be. It's already pretty sad in many ways to see what men and women and boys and girls often do because they've cast aside the teaching of the Word of God. The law of God is better than great riches. The thoughts and the character of those matters bring us to the ninth and final thing for which is better tonight. This last one reads as follows, taking us back to the lesson text that was read earlier in our hearing from 1 Samuel 15 verse 22. It was on that occasion that many things, many lessons could be brought from that chapter, but the one of interest to us is this. Command had been given by God to destroy the Amalekites due to what they had done to the children of Israel years earlier. We notice that as Saul and the armies of Israel went about to carry that out, they failed. And in fact, they did so in marked disobedience. Saul brought back their king named Agag. He brought back many of their animals. And even though he said, we're going to sacrifice them, that still was disobedience. He didn't do what God told him to do. When Samuel was commissioned to go and speak with him, Samuel had a very interesting conversation with Saul. A part of that involved him asking, Why do I hear the lowing of the sheep if you've obeyed the Lord? Obviously, Saul didn't have a very good answer for that. He simply claimed they were going to sacrifice them. But then in verse 22, Samuel made this powerful refrain. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. No one would argue sacrifice was good. We've studied in Leviticus on Sunday morning. Sacrifice was a commanded thing, and in its rightful place, it was such a good matter. But there was something better. Obedience. Today, there are many things that are good. We could sit in a pew every Sunday for 75 years of life, and that's a good thing. We can hear thousands of sermons, and that's a good thing. We can read all 1,189 chapters of this book many times, and that's a good thing. But might we say this, there's still something better than reading. There's something better than listening to sermons. There's something better even than being present when prayers are uttered. Obedience. Ultimately and finally, have I done what this book says or have I just read it? Have I just listened to it? Have I just been present when others were listening to it? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken in the fat of rams. From time to time, there are those that you and I may know. And unfortunately, they pass from the scenes of this life. They attended many services of the church, but they never obeyed the gospel. When we come to feel that, often we see statements like this written in the obituaries. Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so was affiliated with the Church of Christ. I have to confess to you, I can't help but nearly cry when I hear that kind of statement. Affiliation won't save anybody. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew the 12th chapter, as He made reference to that, He said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. 
but yet to be outside it, no matter how close you are, means you're still lost. Tonight, to obey is better than sacrifice. Have you obeyed the gospel? Being here tonight's a great thing, and we trust and hope that we've each been encouraged and benefited. But we hope even more that the words of the gospel have embedded deeply in our mind and heart, and that obedience will naturally follow, because to obey is better than sacrifice. Have you and I been obedient to the trusts and the measures of the gospel? If we have, thanks be unto God for that concourse and decision of life, and may we continue that until death. But if we have, why not tonight? Why not this very evening? It's a beautiful afternoon physically outside. Why not make it even a better afternoon in here? As there's a person who puts on Christ in baptism, or someone who's rededicated to their first love, it would be a marvelous evening and a time that you could understand a newness in life. Nine things we've studied tonight, as you can see by way of conclusion, all of them have demanded our discernment. All of them are things stated in the Word of God as being better than something that's good. As you and I strive to live in this way with Christ, may we strive to always seek that which is better, not just what's good, but what is better. If we could assist you tonight in seeking what's better in a public way in regard to the gospel, we'd love to help you do that. But even if that isn't true and, we, and there are those who are continuing their walk in faithfulness, may we each be reminded how that even tomorrow we each need to seek what's better and not just what's good. Tonight, if we could be of assistance to anyone publicly, we'd be happy to assist you in the ways that would be appropriate. If you need to become a Christian, at this time being an alien sinner, we would be happy to assist you by taking note of your belief, urging you in terms of repentance, making note of the confession that would be right and proper, and then to assist you in baptism. If you need to be restored to your first love tonight, why not tonight? To let us pray with you and for you again upon your confession and repentance, God will wipe those sins away, and you can again be faithful in service at His side. If we could be of assistance to you, Brother Jeff has chosen this song, and as we stand and sing in just a moment, would you not come even now? While together we stand and sing. <laughs>